Welcome to the Everyday Citizens Tactical Podcast, Episode 16, Medical and Civilian Aid. My name is Jeremy and I will be your host. Today, I am joined by a good friend of mine, Justin, who is a career firefighter paramedic, the organizer of the 2022 Deliver Fund Range Day, and the operator of the Archangel Tactical Medicine Instagram page. Now, without further delay, let's dive in. Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward yeah. Shrink the numbers, we the people still the ones with power Fighting fire with fire, time to take back what is ours Tell me turn it down and I'ma only turn up louder yeah. Call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward And we are live. Justin, welcome to episode 16, man. Thanks, man. How are you? I, I'm i doing good. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Can't complain? You got to go to work after no. this, so maybe just a little bit. Yeah, I have like a eight-hour window between work, so I'm trying to squeeze this in here for you. <laughs> mm. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on. Obviously, you know, medical is a big deal to the both of us, so I'm really excited for this episode. Absolutely. You want to go ahead and uh, tell the people who Justin is? Who is Justin? Is that the question? <laughs> That's the question. Um, well, my name is Justin. I am a firefighter paramedic um, in Northeast Ohio, the great fake state, if you will, as most people tend to tell me that Ohio is not a real place. It's not. Um, it's not, but you've been there. Nope. Yes, you have. Don't it's lie. Part of, it's part of the matrix. Anyway. <laughs> part of the matrix very well um so yeah i've been in the field for about seven years now coming up um i've served different capacities from part-time firefighter paramedic um part-time firefighter emt and full-time firefighter emt paramedic so it's the career path that i have chosen to embark down uh, over the last couple years i've gotten more into the um 2A community, if you will, or the firearms community. So I've really taken up a hobby um, with firearms and learning to shoot and train. And I created a tiny, tiny, small Instagram page that has helped me meet several amazing people in the community, uh, one of which is yourself. And uh, I'm very thankful that I have a lot of good friends that I've made that way. So it's I'm just uh, a small fish in a large pond as I like to say. That's a really good saying. Quite humble of you. Do you want to disclose your most recent accomplishment, or are you keeping that on the down low? Uh, that's on the DL. Um, I'm okay. not really apt to talk about that a whole lot. It's nothing crazy. Um, okay. And it's I something I probably won't even talk too much about, to be honest. So, But I appreciate right. you asking. Yep. Okay. Now, all of you listening don't get to know, and I hope it bothers you. Um. <laughs> So, I mean, do you want to dive into, you know, what kind of your goals with Archangel Tactical Medicine is and and even kind of your goals outside of that? Because I know you have goals, but, you know, I want everybody else to kind of, you know, be in on it. Yeah, man. Um, so the way uh, the Archangel page started, right, and I want to clarify something. Um, as a, a good friend of mine referenced me in another podcast, and he messes with me, and he calls it the Archangel and it's Ark. Um, <laughs> A-R-C-H is spelled like Ark, like Noah's Ark, um, for any clarification. I didn't think that needed to be said, but apparently it does. Um, anyway, the page started in 2020, 
um, there I was just I was getting on Instagram and I was seeing pages and um, you know I actually like being involved at a fire department that was fairly busy at the time um, and seeing a lot of trauma early in my career I really was like hey this is you know this is something I'm out here actually doing I'm actually practicing so if I I can provide a page to just give out information here and there a little bit and meet some awesome people and network then that's you know what it came down to and it's you know it's a small page for only being around for a couple years um, but I've met a lot of great people um, that I've been able to train with um, you know teach with and just get to know really well um, through the internet and I was actually thinking about it the other day like I had I had a good friend growing up and he played Xbox like constantly. That's all he did. Mm-hmm. It was like we would hang out, I'd play sports, he'd play Xbox. We'd hang out, I'd play sports, he'd play Xbox. But he had all these friends on the internet and I would make fun of them. And here I am 15 years later and I got all these internet friends that I sit down and I talk to every day and <laughs> just makes me chuckle. Um, so the page really, the ultimate goal, started out to give information and meet others and really it's just kind of been – um, I don't know. It's It's been slow rolling the last couple months because I've had a lot of personal growth that I've been able to do in my professional career. Mm-hmm. So the Instagrams had to take a back page or a, a back burner rather. Um, I, I still have – yeah, that's the word. I told you I'm not good with words. <laughs> um, it's taken a back seat to the posting, you know, um, but I still share other people's stuff. I still um, talk to a lot of people um, on the uh, – DM side, giving, trying to give as much advice as I can, um, you know, to kids who are going through medical school. Um, I say kids, but you know, young adults, um, high schoolers, right? Some of them are thinking that they want to join the career field, and um, I've helped teach high schoolers as well, so it's not kind of weird, but um, you know, I help guide them where they want to be in a professional setting. Um, for the career path. So it, it's just, I've always tried to have that mentor role, um, whether I'm super young in the fire service myself, but just trying to give advice. Um, sometimes it's not always the best advice. Sometimes I'm like, hey man, I misspoke. I need to, I need to correct that, um, which helps me learn. And ultimately that's the goal with everything that I do. Um, I've pursued a lot of different avenues in the career field and um, all of it for me has been to learn it's been selfish um honestly quite selfish of me in a good way that i have done a lot of what i've done just to learn and be better at my craft whether Mm -hmm. it's ems or fire so that's been the ultimate goal of archangel tactical medicine is just you know have a good community meet good people share good information learn a lot more information and just have a good time it's uh I've uh, at one point I'm like ah maybe I'll make some money off of this and uh, as your business owner yourself you can probably attest to this that you don't make a whole lot of money at first you you lose quite a bit of money and what I've gained instead of money is just really good friendships and a lot of opportunities um, so that's kind of how I look at it myself. I can confirm I have made zero money. <laughs> it, it's funny yeah. you bring it's funny you bring up the you know the relationships portion of Instagram and social media and whatnot because I talked about it with Maddie a couple episodes ago and you know I've talked about it with a, with a bunch of people on the podcast really it it's crazy how powerful 
social media really can be to create these friendships through social media. Like you and I had never met until the deliver fund range day, but we were all, it's like we were already good friends in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. We were talking, we were sharing and we had mutual friends and we had mutual friends. And I, and I remember at the beginning of 22 when 2022, when you were just starting your page, this was before I decided to get banned 37 times. Um, and then I came back from like my first big band and I was like, holy shit, Justin's got 6,000 followers. Look at him go. So close to good. five, but who counts? <laughs> who counts? Something like that. I can't count. Um, but you know, that's, that's awesome. I definitely think, you know, that, and, and through you, I met a ton of really good people like Maddie and Jay and all those people from the deliver fund range day. And then, uh, you know, more guys from HRT Tactical. So, you know, the people who who really just love networking and, and put those relationships together for other people are, is, is also really important. So I think that's really cool. I look forward to more of your events in the future. Awesome. Are, are we going to talk about that event that you just mentioned? Do you, wanna, you yeah, want me to talk sh- about that at some for point? For sure. For sure. We can dive okay. into it right now we before we get into the medical nitty gritty. Okay. Well, first off, um, I, I can't say enough great things about um, Jay and Maddie, both who are some of the instructors. So for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, um, and I know um, you have pumped it up a lot. You've talked about it on previous podcasts. You've shared a lot about it. And I think you did a YouTube video about it. Like a, I did. a slight YouTube review. Yeah, I did um, like a little highlight video. Yeah. Um, hopefully we can get some more good video this year. Um, and I guess now's a good time. I haven't really mentioned to anyone else yet. Um, so I decided, um, actually it was, uh, in 2021, I went to a charity event hosted by, um, a really good friend of mine, um, who I met on here and he, he, um, it inspired me to do another event and something that I wanted to find a really good cause for it. Mm -hmm. And, I really, in the community, you hear a lot of people who are getting, um, they're really big on the anti-human trafficking um, Mm -hmm, scene. A lot of people want to do something about it. But when I looked into it, short of just donating, which again, you can absolutely do, I recommend it, um, donating to groups like Deliver Fund, um, and there's a few others to help literally combat human trafficking your money goes directly to assets on the ground to support them and um i wanted to host something that got people involved Mm -hmm. and you know so i was like i reached out to them i said hey can i host this range day and i said i want to use you know i don't want to steal your name i want to use and kind of not necessarily partner because i'm a different entity but i created Mm -hmm. an event and we called it deliver fun range day and last year was our first event we had I think we had 24 people signed up and um, 22 showed up, which was great. Um, And we had guys such as yourself who brought guys that you know. And it was a one-day range day that we started at 8.15 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And we shot, I don't know, was it till 10? Like almost 10. I know I didn't roll out of there till like 11. It was well well after dark when we stopped. Yeah. So it was it was after dark for sure, um, which gave people the opportunity to shoot under nods, to shoot under white light, and whatever they wanted to do, honestly. And um, it was 
it was just a really great event. We raised more money than I initially thought. I think we were close to the five or $6,000 mark after just one year with 20 people. So it was amazing. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work coordinating with the instructors. It was a lot of work coordinating to get sponsors because everyone's like, well, you know, who is this? What is this? They're asking for a sponsorship letter. And I didn't have that till like near the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a huge success. And I've had people occasionally asking me about it and talking about the plans for next year. So what I can say is we're looking at changing up a few different things, um, possibly the name. Um, which I can go into at another time. Um, again, no, no harm, no foul. But I also, I like I said, I'm a completely different entity raising money for Deliver Fund. I'm not a part of their team. Um, I'm not on their payroll. And at the same time, I don't want people just to come because they think it's sponsored by Deliver Fund, which it <clears throat> kind of is, but at the same time, it isn't. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're looking at changing the name, we're looking at adding a day, we're looking at adding more people, we're looking at changing locations, and that's all things that I, uh, I put it off till after the holidays, and I got to get started on checking what we're going to do with that. But look to hear in the next month or so um, about dates in October for another range day. Um, and I hope everyone who listens to this, um, who knows you personally, um, decides hey i want to go and maybe they carpool like you and your buddy and you guys come out for the weekend so sorry i have a dog who's sitting here groaning if you heard that (laughs) that's all right yeah i know i mean just more of my local buddies after me and james came back were interested in in next year's events and they were interested beforehand it was just a kind of last second when they had found out but for sure i mean i i know i'm gonna bring a whole crew this coming year wherever whatever it wherever or whenever it may be yeah, the um, so, the goal so right now. Yeah, the goal right now is to double it. If we get fifty people, that's awesome. Um, if we can open it up and do more, we're gonna try and do that. But you know, it's it was very hard to coordinate with three instructors for twenty people to make sure everyone had enough time with each instructor and got the most for their time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna it it could look completely different based on how many people we have. But yeah. the mission is still going to be the same. The money that's collected is solely going to go to Deliver Fund. And 100%, you know, everything I can get donated, I get donated to raffle off, time, um, support, sponsorship. That's what we're doing for it. So um, uh, I can't thank you enough for being a part of it and being a part of the push. Um, So my little spiel with that is I look forward to seeing you at it next year. And, uh, well, I mean, I'm going to see you before then but it'll be great to have you out there in october next year for sure definitely i look forward to it um and everybody listening be on the lookout for that you you will be there um cool so kind of moving into uh the bread and butter of what i wanted to cover this podcast uh is obviously medical and i kind of want to start out getting your opinion on two aspects of the same question you know what is your opinion currently on the EMS medical standards, the baseline standards, I think, you know, is at least statewide, if not nationwide. Um, and what do you think of our medical standards on the civilian side, as far as just the culture goes? What are your just general thoughts about that, just to get the conversation rolling? Yeah, uh, we'll start with civilian. Uh, 
because a lot of times, and you know this showing up on scene, uh, we get a lot of blank stares by people who are, and I'll even say directly involved in the situation. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what do I do? And at that point, once we get there, it's kind of like we have to have the nice way of saying, like, you're good. Go over there and decompress. Um, but the expectations until we get there, right, I think for me fall under the words of recognition. Mm-hmm. I can teach any person here how to apply a tourniquet i can teach them how to do it properly i can teach them stop the bleed i can teach them cpr i can teach them the skills Mm -hmm. and i think this crosses over with professional training but really the expectation to even on your own time whether you're a civilian or a professional to understand the why behind it I think we need to have more of an expectation of pushing that, right? Because I, I agree. I, a lot of people, and I'll use this, and a few friends of mine might make fun of me, right? Uh, chest noodle decompression. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they teach it in an NAMT class to providers. And, you know, until you really understand the why, and when a student or a peer or anyone asks me about it, I say, well, do you know why we do it? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, no. We do it to relieve. Yes, it helps them breathe easier. But really, we're relieving the pressure in the chest cavity from pressing on the heart mm-hmm. to increase your cardiac output. That pressure buildup decreases your cardiac output. So when you start going like that and they're like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to be able to recognize why why we do it in order to do something. So when we get into civilian training, right, and that's what makes us, um, you know, there's a big push, well, not, okay, not a big push, but instead of like emergency medical technician paramedic or emergency medical technician basic, we could we should really change the name to emergency medical clinician, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what people want us to be. They want us to tell them what's wrong with them and they want us to fix it, mm-hmm. which we sometimes we can do, but not always. Mm-hmm. So I really think that um, the standards or expectations really come down to understanding and knowing the why, if that makes sense. It's funny you, you bring up the needle decompression because one of my local guys had asked about that a couple of days ago. You know, the guys I train and hang out with, he was asking, you know, you know, are you going to teach you, you know, we do a lot of March and we do a lot of medical stuff. Are you going to teach us, you know, needle decompression? And I, and I said, no, because even me as, as an EMT basic on the civilian side, obviously my initial medical background comes from the military, which is a completely different mess of protocols and whatnot. So I learned needle decompression from that side, not the civilian side. And, you know, I said, no, because, you know, all of you, even though you may know how to go through the motions of March and do the skills, none of you have a developed sense of patient assessments and, you know, adding up the numbers and whatnot when it comes to signs and symptoms. Oh, this is happening, this is happening, this is most likely what's causing it and why, you know, you know, that that sense is not developed yet. And especially when you start talking about needle decompressions or airway and stuff like that, you know, you, you can I won't say necessarily. I will say you can hurt people doing things incorrectly. Are you are you going to kill somebody from doing a needle D incorrectly? 
No, not necessarily, but there's no reason to just, you know, go poking holes at people because you're just going through the motions. You don't really know what's going on. Exactly. Um, and, exactly. and, you know, that's one of the things with my company, with ECT, the, the medical response one classes we teach is, yeah, we teach March and we teach first aid skills and whatnot, but the entire first portion of the class is, and I would probably say it's almost two thirds of the class is going over patient assessments, you know, basics to anatomy. We talk about developing the scene um, and scene size up and whatnot, your safety, patient safety, you know, bystander safety and whatnot. And, and I think that's a really big thing, specifically on the civilian side, you know, that we need to push for is there's a lot more why and, and we need to develop the mental aspect of that, the thinking game, because that makes up so much of medical, even in the professional side for you and me. In EMS, you know, the thinking takes on a lot. Absolutely. And the thing my agency does, and I never really <clears throat> understood, um, right. And it was hard for me to change from an agency that ran with two people, a driver and a scribe for lack of better terms mm -hmm. to now we have three people on our ambulances and the guy who's the scribe, whether it's the officer or just my turn to write, right? Mm. I, I don't really put gloves on, depending on what the call is. You know, sometimes I have to, and I, I should. I need to be able to recognize it. But your ability to kind of sit back, to run the tablet, to ask the questions, while other guys are doing the skills that you need done, um, and to really, your job is to think about it. Your job mm. is to look at the patient. It is to get a verbal assessment, get the information you need from your people, and then go from there, and it's it's really important, and it makes it run a lot more smooth. So you're so you're saying if you have a person that does the care, and then you have a separate person that writes the report. Uh well, like I said, we have three people. We have a driver. We have um, one guy in the back, and say the officer's writing. Um, so interesting. With, yeah, three three person ambulance yeah. crews is not a thing down here. Yeah, and it it's. It's a big adjustment, you know, because it's great when you have a really, if you have, I'll just say it, a legit call. But mm -hmm. when you don't have a legit call, usually somebody's kind of just standing around. Um, you know, some person gets the pulse ox, another person checks the sugar, while the other guy's getting the blood pressure and listens to the lungs, you know. So it stuff gets done. But, and then when we transport, they hop in the back and get stuff going. But, you know, it really allows you to, develop that critical thinking skill and every crew does it a little different there's some officers where that's what they do is they write the call and they're, they're like i want that because if i have to go to court i want to know what i dictated what i saw and i'm in charge so i'm going to write the report and that's perfectly fine there's other guys who rotate and then there's other crews where you know you're the one who does all the writing it just it is what it is you just got to learn it and but it's nice it, it's real nice there. Um, I think I'm getting off on a tangent there, so I'll kind of wrap that up. But that understanding aspect is huge, mm -hmm. and I think we need to push that more on civilians. And I'll say there, there's a huge push to do the most high-speed stuff when it comes mm -hmm. to medical and shooting. Mm -hmm. And when I teach a class or if I adjunct, and I use the term adjunct like I help with a class, mm -hmm. um, all my stuff is very basic when I go over it. 
but I really try and dig into the why and I'll ask questions and if they're getting it just like my um, new guys at work I I kick it up a notch I force their brain to exercise because your brain is a muscle too sort of Mm -hmm. I guess no it's it's (laughs) Um, a muscle yeah not like you know like a bicep or like your lats but it's a muscle yeah and and it can break it can break just like a bicep Mm-hmm. For Quite sure. A stroke. <laughs> we don't have to go uh, talk about this side as much, but I want your opinion. You know, what about the professional side? What do you think of the mindset and just kind of the baseline training? You know that EMTs, paramedics get. You know, you know the field providers. Uh, it's the base training is good. Um, something I've ran into with some of the new guys that come out of paramedic school, right? Basic mm-hmm. school is it's interesting because when they come out they don't know anything yeah you really don't know anything you've been in class for three months and you took a test you did maybe a couple field hours and all right i'm good to go and now you need you need to learn on the job and i don't like that Mm -hmm. my clinical program we did i think 16 hours in emt but they should do more. They should ride an ambulance, a busy ambulance, to see how to talk to patients, how to, uh, you know, assess them, how to look and know when a patient is sick versus not sick. Instead of getting out of class and it's like, here you go, now you need to learn, you know. So, and I think, hands down, National Registry for the EMT Basic is much harder than the paramedic one mm-hmm. because you don't know anything. You don't have any practice. You don't have the amount of time you've been in school. It's, you know, it's harder, I think. I struggled with my first one more than my actual paramedic one. And don't get me wrong, the paramedic one's just as hard, but it's hard in a different way. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's, it's, I agree with you that it feels like basic school should be more. However, you know, I think there has to be a certain amount of learning on the job. And it's just like the fire side of things. You know, you know, how much longer would you realistically have to make basic school to where EMTs could confidently go into the field? Because you got to do a lot of different types. You have to do a lot of patient assessments on a lot of different types of people to find the way you like to do your patient assessment and, and you know, size up, you know, how you like to communicate with your patient. You kind of have to set your own kind of rhythm in a sense. Because even with me getting out of the Marine Corps and was already uh, an EMT, and doing medical stuff on the Marine side, I jumped into the civilian side and I was still throwing through a loop because I'm used to assessing military age males, you know, 18 to 35. And now I'm doing old ladies, I'm doing kids, I'm doing middle-aged men. So it's, I, I feel like it's really hard to develop those type of skills. And I think, I think that's something that just kind of has to be learned. It has to be learned as you go. I mean, it does. Know, and, I think I'm not saying add more weeks, more months mm-hmm. or anything, but you know, my EMT class was two nights a week, four hours a night. And I did 16 hours of orientation like, or uh, clinical. Okay. Maybe you add one or two or three or five, whatever, depending how many weeks it is, just an extra four hours where they're either in the emergency room mm-hmm. or, you know, and I can't speak to other programs. I've been out of EMT school for seven years now, so I don't know if they've changed it, but I think the basic training really 
it's very minimal and because that's the other thing you know guys would tell me hey do some time before you go in the paramedic school take a year off and I didn't like that either because your mind is still fresh it's in the thinking mode that you need so I was working in EMT school and I worked at a private ambulance afterwards and I worked all through paramedic school at a fire department and that helped me but at the same time it's like I didn't there was so much more to learn in paramedic school and I don't know if adding a little bit more helps it's it's hard to say but you're right there needs to be training on the job and that's where most people learn it right that's where you probably learn to be a better basic right was at your current department yeah um and I think I think it we've had to develop that we've had to do that because there is that gap right you recognize that when they come out of EMT school the gap that's there so for us as providers and teachers what can we do in this slotted amount of time or add more time to narrow that gap it doesn't have to be you know if the gap's 10 feet well we don't have to make it zero feet but what if we bring it down to seven feet and have them more prepared right just mm. I think that's something they could do. And then, again, paramedic school is completely different. And the problem I have with paramedic school um, is a, they and they do a crap ton of clinical hours. Um, but I've had recent guys that just get out of paramedic school, and they just think they know it all, and the world is black and white. And mm-hmm. we live in such a gray world. In Like in the real world, every call is gray. There's very few that are black and white, and and I even did it as a new guy. I wanted to diagnose stuff. This is diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm. Well, you can't go in and tell a doctor that this patient has diabetic ketoacidosis. What you need to tell them is they have high blood sugar and they're exhibiting signs of DKA, and that's what you think it is, but we can't diagnose them. You know, yeah. you can have teaching that primary impression and new guys who just spent 10 months in this very intense training program um they just they think they know it all and it's like man you know the book but you got to get those hands-on skills to figure out what you actually know and i think that's and and i think that's true for anything in this realm of work i remember you know back to the marine corps you know people that come out of mos school across a wide range of mos's Everybody thinks they know what's going on when they get out of school and they go to their unit. In reality, they don't know anything. You don't know nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of my biggest pet peeves with civilian EMS is especially EMTs, but even more concerning paramedics are kind of trauma illiterate. Unless they're a, a much more experienced you know, EMS provider, whichever level it is, and they've been around a while. A lot of young paramedics and EMTs have little to no knowledge of trauma outside. All right, let's set the IV, maybe fluids, but like actual trauma treatment and using occlusive dressings, trauma dressings, if your department carries them. My department doesn't carry trauma dressings. It drives me nuts. Uh, tourniquets and whatnot. <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff, they're, they're rather uninformed of, of how any of that works. Like most P 
people that I've worked with in the past have no idea how to properly stage a tourniquet. Like at all. I see people put tourniquets away and I'm like, you are going to have an absolute fit with that if you ever have to get that out of that bag. Absolutely. Um, fun fact. Uh, the last class I taught, I had um, a guy, his name is Ryan. He's an advanced. Um, he might be, uh, I think he's in Tennessee. He's in Tennessee area. And he showed me a new way to stage a tourniquet. I'm like, Wow. I've always been taught this way and you're like, man, that works too. So, but you're right. Most people don't know. They just keep it in the packaging or they throw it somewhere. They don't know how to stage it. They don't know. And you're 100% right. And the crazy thing about all this is it's trauma is actually pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. For what we can do. It's very simple. Uh, that was the hardest, uh, area of focus that I had going through school, believe it or not. Um, but it's very simple and the way you get good at it is by doing it just, just like you said um, I, I was fortunate to work at a department where we worked on a lot of trauma patients and for the general public who doesn't understand I'm not talking your high speed motor vehicle accidents that you have to cut people out and they're missing an arm or machinery accidents like on Chicago Fire <laughs> but you know uh, they fell and they have, um, they had, you know, grandma fell and she hit her head. Now you need to check the signs and symptoms of, well, does she actually have a head bleed or mm -hmm. what's going on? And, you know, trauma, what would you say is the percentage of traumatic calls that you go on? It's going to, it's going to depend heavily by your demographic, but I would say less than, I would say less than 5% of our calls. And we make a lot of calls for, for our department and its size. Um, the second busy, busiest in the tri-state, uh, third busy, busiest in the tri-state. Um, I would say it's probably less than, than, than 5% of, okay. true, of true trauma calls. It may come in as trauma and it doesn't really turn out to be, but I mean, yeah. actual trauma calls, regardless of its cause, I'd probably say 5%. Well, let's start at the top. 80% of what we get called for is nothing crazy. It's that 20% that's actually something, right? My tummy hurts. My I stubbed my toe two weeks ago, <laughs> right? But mm -hmm. we, when it's at 20%, we need to be ready for it. Yeah. Out of that 20%, I'd say, I think you're right. Five to ten percent of it's actually trauma. The rest, respiratory and cardiology, right? Mm -hmm. And if we think yeah. trauma's trauma's not uh, what's the word I'm looking for, not frequent, then your pediatrics is even less frequent, mm -hmm. and your OB stuff is even less frequent than that. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think unless you do it a lot, it's it's really hard to get it's really hard to learn it and that's the thing um maybe i'll be scrutinized is you're gonna make mistakes right for sure everyone knows it now what is your acceptable ratio to making mistakes that's on you um i shoot for zero but obviously no one's infallible so the way i learned some of my best trauma skills was from making mistakes mm -hmm. you know 
not not egregious mistakes like oh it was just I missed something or I could have done something better or hey why didn't I do this but you're right you're 100 percent right uh, about just uh, kind of not being very great at it so diving back I into think... the okay go ahead no sorry you go ahead <laughs> diving back into uh, the civilian side of things um, and this kind of goes well because we just talked about trauma you know what are what do you think people should set as their standards as far as medical care capabilities they keep in a day pack or like their vehicle because obviously that's that's one of those hot topic cool guy type things it's like oh look at my high speed bag in my truck yeah with my <laughs> with my ninety thousand other things you know, I'm guilty of it too yeah for other people you know just your standards <laughs> is your standard civilian what do you think we get this I get this question often um, stand by one second I'm sorry um, I get that question quite often and the most underrated piece of gear and I'll say it right now and it's the first thing that should be in every single med pack is rolled gauze right simple four inch three yard rolled gauze um, and in my civilian kits and even in my work kits I put extras of that in there because it's so versatile, mm -hmm. right? You can use it to pack a wound if you're trained, right? Um, which it's invasive, but it will have this discussion in a little bit, but you, you may have to learn how to, it's not, I don't think wound packing is something that is out of the realm of teaching civilians. Mm -hmm. Um, we but, teach it in our medical response wound class. Yeah. We use um, that, uh, that focus lab wound packing cube. Focus right research, on. whatever that is, the wound packing cube, the one you always see. Yeah, right on. Um, I think rolled gauze is great for that because, okay, they got a big cut, but you know you don't need to pack it. You put a five by nine uh, abdominal dressing on. Do you guys carry five by nine abdominal dressings? Absolutely. That is, that and rolled gauze are my two favorite things because you can stop a mm -hmm. lot of bleeding with that. Um, I have stopped an arterial bleed at the wrist um with a five by nine and rolled gauze mm -hmm. and afterwards i was like hey we could have put a tourniquet on it but you know what this worked so you know hey good job um so if you put a couple five by nines you put some rolled gauze you put some adhesive tape maybe even coban a tourniquet and those are really good basics right because mm -hmm. everything when it comes back to it professional civilian everything goes back to the basics and what we can do right why have a kit with stuff that you're not trained to use and you don't understand the why behind using it and throw it in there right mm -hmm. um occlusive dressings are they're good if you're talking about a seal like a chest seal then those are really good mm -hmm. but those are good for the chest they're good for um, chest trauma that have sucking chest wounds, but other than that, you don't you don't really do anything. Um, that five by nine abdominal dressing works, you know, to cover wounds of the abdomen. Um, See, I use, and I and I very much teach it as well. I use occlusive dressings for uh, puncture wounds and small lacerations to the abdomen as well. Because you got to think, you know, you don't, you, especially someone who's not well versed. You don't necessarily want them wrapping 
the stomach in gauze or some sort of trauma dressing, although a trauma dressing could work very well. Um, but an occlusive dressing, all it does is patch a hole. So you know, if you got a, like if you, even if you've got like a gunshot wound to the abdomen, throw an occlusive dressing on there because you're not packing the abdomen and you're not applying pressure. Throw an occlusive dressing on there. It's going to stick really good and it takes seconds. See, I've I've had a couple gunshot wounds to the stomach, mm-hmm. and the problem is is there's just sometimes there's a lot of blood, sometimes there's not. I yeah, found that a good. lot of times they get a lot of internal bleeding with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I ended up doing with like that puncture wound. Um, even in the back of a squat, right, where I have everything that the emergency room has short of a trauma surgeon for him, right? Um, I just applied pressure on it as best as I could because it would saturate everything else we had. And he didn't have any organs or anything that were sticking out. It was a small caliber, but that was honestly that pressure with a gloved hand and a five by nine was the best we had. And the hospital was presently supply- surprised with what it actually did and helped with that, you know? Yeah. yeah b- bleeding is going to play a big part in that. Cause I've even used occlusive dressings on chest lacerations that just bleed way too much. And I think I went through like three chest seals before I finally was able to like wipe enough blood away and, and get things to kind of start to stop before I could get a chest seal to actually stop. Cause I was, I did backstory of that call. I, I didn't know if the major laceration to his chest had made it through uh, that wall or not. Uh, it was just, it was so bloody you couldn't tell. So we were trying to get a chest seal yeah. on it, but it, there was so much blood. And I've seen, you know, abdomen gunshot wounds or puncture wounds that don't bleed at all. So you're right. Blood is going to take a huge part into consideration on, on what you use to treat. Yeah. I haven't personally had one in the abdomen that I was like, oh, I'll just slap one of these on there. Um, but again, how far is your closest trauma center for you? Uh, our major trauma center is going to be UC Cincinnati, and if I drive lights and sirens, I'm going. I'm probably going 15 minutes from anywhere in my district, maybe maybe 20. That's good. That's real good. Um, the closest one for me is six minutes by highway, pretty much from anywhere in my district. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and when I worked in the urban um, metro fire department, I worked at. I mean, you were four minutes away, and. Mm-hmm. When you got closer, I mean, it was even quicker. So, you know, that. You sound, you sound just like my dad. My dad always used to say this kind of stuff to He's like, you're not that far from a trauma center. And I was like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, you know, there were things it's like, you know what? I'll just hold pressure. I have the resources. I'm going to do it. So I've done, I've done that quite a bit. Um, and I think that really comes down to, like we've talked about, recognition, right? Mm-hmm. Guys will see something. Um, they'll see a lot of bleeding they'll see an open chest wound, right? And mm. they're going to want to go ahead and just throw a chest seal on or throw a tourniquet on. Um, and yes, that is the correct answer. But just like in Stop the Bleed, what's the first thing we always do is direct pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So that open chest wound, right? I'm not critiquing you, by the way. I'm just saying hold that gloved hand on there with 5 by 9 wipe it down. See what it does? Wipe it down more. Hold pressure for a second. Burp it then maybe put the chest seal or the occlusive dressing on, you know, just like you were talking. Um, and I think that's a training point that we can do in civilian classes. Cause you know, we try and teach them, okay, well, if you have this, you're going to do this. Well, it doesn't always work like that. Cause just like you said, blood has 
blood has a factor and I've bled through chest seals just as much as you have. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, everything has limitations. And I think that's a really important thing to understand both on the professional and the civilian side is understand the limitations of your equipment and yourself and yourself. Um, one other big thing that, you know, when it comes to carrying medical gear and vehicles and whatnot, that I've kind of started pushing people more for is outside of going in, getting good, um, uh, CPR training is carrying a, if you, if you're really looking to advance your capabilities and some people aren't going to like this opinion, but carrying a BVM in your vehicle, you know, air, the, the, the breaths are not a, they say it's not a huge portion of care for CPR, but if you're knowledgeable and you have the gear and you have somebody that can do CPR, uh, or, or I'm sorry, chest compressions and you can do airway or vice versa, you know, say you're out with your buddy and you both went to a CPR class together, why not do it? There's not a reason not to do it. Um, I think CPR is extremely underrated when it comes to civilian medical. Absolutely. Um, I know like the AHA, just the BLS class, Mm-hmm. That should be taught in high schools. Like I know it, it, high schools it used right to be. now. I know I don't know if they do right now or not. Uh, I I teach fire and EMS to high school students, so they have to take it because it's mm-hmm. a prereq for their classes. But yeah. I don't know if these other classes do. I remember I did it. I'm sure you did it. Um, but we should do it. Like companies should do it. Like why not? It's it's a drop in the bucket, you know. And especially with what happened, right? Um, to the Buffalo Bills player, DeMar, right? Mm-hmm. He, young, healthy dude, and he collapsed. Um, that happens a lot more often, just not on national television. So why not have the training to help with that? Mm-hmm. So um, I agree. A BVM is good. I think having that knowledge of CPR um, is good as well. But it also comes down to the recognition of they are truly pulseless and apneic, and we need to start this. Because mm-hmm. how many overdoses have you been on where we're going to start CPR and you get there and all you hear is grunting because the guy's trying to breathe mm-hmm. because he doesn't need CPR. Um, so it's uh, that's a valuable skill. And you're right, a BVM. And I got a little distracted there with other gear. Um, BVM's great. I carry one in my bag. Mm-hmm. I carry I, one uh, as well. Which one do you carry? Yeah. you carry just like the standard BVM or do you carry the... Uh... The North American Rescue, uh, the small one, the pocket BBM. Uh, just a standard one. I just I, yeah, I carry a standard one myself. Yeah, I got, I've got, uh, I've got, both, I got BVMs in way more places than I probably need BVMs for whatever reason because I just like acquiring <laughs> things. Um, I really like the pocket BVM. Those things are, those things are nifty, and I keep and I buy an an, an aftermarket uh, pouch that has a spare adult mask and then a pediatric mask because obviously most of them just come with you know adult masks and you can use an adult bag you know on a child if you have the right size mask obviously you just take much much smaller uh breaths for them um i think that's i think that's something people forget about a lot too is you know you know care capabilities for children because you talk about an emergency people panic fast when something happens to a kid you know, providers, providers, providers freak fast. out. Yeah. You want to see, you want to see your local responders, you know, actually 
respond just balls to the wall to something, put out a not breathing kit or something. Every every engine, ambulance, and cop in the city is coming to that location. Uh, it's I've heard it go out. I've I've seen it. I've talked to the guys who've been there, and that's just it's unreal what happens when that that call goes out. Um, I think I mean, and that's the crazy thing. I kind of mentioned it right. Sick versus not sick, right? Mm-hmm. Um, pay, parents, kids. You know, when you have a truly sick kid, and until you've laid eyes on a truly sick kid, you're like, oh man, this is bad, right? Crying babies are great babies. Um, it's when they're running a fever of 105 and they're just looking like crap that you're like, all right, I need to get this figured out. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think carrying those BVM masks for kids are great. Um, not that I endorse any products. Do you have any experience yourself with the, um, I think, is it the LifeVac or the D, the D, uh, the D choker? where it's it's got like a bvm mask but it also has in it you pull and it actually pulls the food out of the throat oh i know i know what you're talking about i've seen them i have not personally ever used one yeah i have not either and it's something that i'm definitely going to be investing in soon interesting yeah i completely forgot about those that those even existed yeah Yeah, choking is choking is another big thing with kids yeah um, one of my instructors told me like his kid was choking and again the recognition of truly choking versus food kind of caught in the throat mm-hmm. he just without thinking his kid was choking he grabbed the kid back slaps a couple times coughed it up kid went running away it was crazy he said he's like but his kid was completely choking he's like I'm glad I didn't have to go further down the algorithm mm-hmm. um, you know so um and it's yeah, funny you see CPR turning that go ahead. It's interesting you say that about not going further down the algorithm. I think it drives home the point of being brilliant in the basics can go a really long way. Absolutely. And that's why like back to your original question. A BVM is good if you can't carry a BVM, right? Mm-hmm. Um we teach hands only CPR now. That's really yeah. big because that's more important. So um mouth to mouth, not really a thing. Mouth to mouth with a pocket mask. Um, not even really a thing that hands only quality CPR perfect and, and anybody can teach that mm-hmm. rolled gauze chest seals are good right I, I, I keep everything really basic but more mm-hmm. importantly when I recommend this stuff um, you can carry whatever you want but you better have the training yeah. I don't personally I don't like the excuse of well I carry this in case somebody who's trained is there shows up on scene right because mm-hmm. then you start worrying, well, what if this guy says he's trained and he's not trained, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How, how do you know that? that? How do you know that stranger that ran up on scene to help just like you did as actually has any clue what's going on? Exactly. Um, so I, I'm cautious about that. Um, I guess that you carry what you want as long as it's legal and only use what you have the training for. And when I say training, um, I generally mean like you have a certificate to practice. You are a nationally registered paramedic or a respiratory therapist. Hmm. And, and that um, and that's and at least for my belief, that's outside of like life saving trauma and like wrapping boo boos. Like don't yes. don't don't run around don't be running around sticking eye gels in people and stuff because you watched a YouTube video. Yes, one hundred percent. You know, um, and th- 
you know, there's a, do you carry, do you carry MPAs in your gear? Yeah. Okay. Um, so like I carry it in mine, but I'm using that. I'm not necessarily going to use that so much for trauma. You know, we talk about the recovery position. That's Mm. something that's severely underutilized, but, um, overdoses, right? I'll Mm -hmm. stick an MPA in an overdose and that's what I'm going to do. Um, you, you snore on me, you're getting MPA'd right now. Yep. And that's it. That's the only reason I'm doing it. If they're, if they're not storing, they're not getting one, you yeah. know. But that's one. Um, is that a tool that the risks outweigh the benefits? Well, as long as you know not to put it in during head trauma, okay, you carry an MPA. Mm-hmm. But I keep all my stuff um, relatively simple, back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to carry all mine in a fanny pack. Right, mm. I was not a believer in the tactical fanny pack, um, but I am a believer, and I rock. I have the tactical fanny pack in my car, and when I'm out on the range, you're gonna catch me rocking it, and I am a believer of it. Fanny packs are, are they? They're making a comeback. They are, they are. Um, yeah, no, I mean all all of those are are great things to carry just on your everyday. Like, like like Justin said, five by nines, rolled gauze, and four by fours. Four by fours are one of my favorite things. Uh, you can use those for a bunch. Let me just wipe this blood off so you can see that there's nothing wrong with your your cut, you know. Or let me just you know fold this over and use it with the wrapped gauze just to have a little bit of cushion to it, a little little a little bandage, you know. Small things like that, those go a long way. You know, very it's very 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 rare occasion you're gonna get that BVM out of your backpack. But you could be, you could get a couple band aids or rolled gauze out of your backpack multiple times a year because you're at the picnic with the family and somebody gets hurt or you stop at a car accident or, or whatever it might be. So basics, 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 basics. Um, I kind of want to change gears towards the tactical side a little bit, especially with the big push recently with more organized civilian groups and whatnot and having like community response groups and whatnot obviously it's always going to be preferred for your designated medics within a group to be those with certifications Um, but for groups that don't have that kind of stuff you know what are some serious areas of training should they uh, search out in order to be a better care provider as a uncertified individual I, you know, the one thing I've recommended to people, and I've actually personally never taken one mm-hmm. short of like Boy Scouts, but like wilderness first aid, mm-hmm. um, I think that is a great course that even if you live in a city, right, um, I think it's very applicable mm-hmm. to what you can do as a non-trained provider because it covers a lot of those basics and it's fun, right? Whenever we talk about teaching, we want something that can be fun for people. We don't want to be death by PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I always, one of the go-tos is, you know, a BLS and a wilderness first aid class to kind of teach them. Um, you know, if you don't have that trained paramedic, if you don't have that guy in your group. Um, and then my second option would be seek out a like-minded individual that, um, you know, vet them right? Talk to them and mm-hmm. figure out if they're good at their job or not. And if they're good at their job, ask them to teach you, right? Mm-hmm. That's the best way to do it. Um, loan are the days of us being, well, I'm just a medical guy. 
my job is not just to give you aspirin and Tylenol, not aspirin, but you know, Tylenol and ibuprofen and wrap mm-hmm. your boo-boos, but it's to teach you and educate you, right? Um, I know when you train with your group, you're doing a lot of medical training and you're doing that because that's one of your specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best thing you can do is if you don't have that guy, find that guy. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, my, my big three, I always tell people to go. If you want to be a very well-diversed, non-certified individual, go to a wilderness first aid class, just like he t- just like Justin said. Because you're going to get the first aid aspect out of, uh, out of that, but also the wilderness aspect out of that. Go to a quality stop the bleed or, or trauma equivalent class, and then go get CPR. Uh, go to a CPR class. Those three things right there are a really good base to start from and that's even for somebody that is thinking about joining the field right um you're not sure those are three really good classes that are not very time intensive that you could Mm -hmm. take to help get your peaked interest and then what i tell people too um i've told people this i said what's your time commitment like do you have two nights a week available then spend the thousand dollars and get your emt cert right if you don't use it in a professional setting then you don't use it but it's five months four months whatever it is now and it's all good stuff to learn you know you're you might not be great at it because you don't have that hands-on experience unless you get hired somewhere but it's still um i use the caveat when it comes to gear and when it comes to training is how much is your life worth how much is your family's life worth right is your life worth $30 a year to buy a new tourniquet to make sure that it's ready to go and the integrity of it is intact? Then buy a new tourniquet every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, is your life worth $1,000? You know, then take that EMT class. What, if, if you have the time to do it, why not? Why not just get that basic medical class? Um, so I, I'm a really big proponent of even doing that myself or telling people to do that. And I think another big thing that people overlook is truly understanding the uh, cause and effect of over-the-counter medications because they're really powerful um, if used correctly. And they can be easily, from the preparedness aspect, you can store, you know, over-the-counter medications in, in bulk, you know, under, like, especially from the wilderness aspect of that. You know, having a good anti-diarrhea or a laxative, that's, if, if you're talking about being in the field from like the tactical perspective, that's a major thing that guys face from like a conventional aspect or even like a survival aspect is that you're, you're going to have stomach issues, whether from the stuff that you've eaten, bad water you've drinking, whatever that might be. Um, and having simple things like that can really help you. Having aspirin to potentially help you know, chest pain victims of the community you went to go help after a, a you know, a, a tornado struck their town or whatever, you know, you might be able to help with, you know, with that. Um, the little glucose packets for diabetic patients, um, you know, it's, ibuprofens and Tylenols, you know, there's a lot of over-the-counter medications if used correctly and you understand can, can really advance your capabilities. Yeah. It's, uh, it reminded me of that and, you know, um, you know what else works besides glucose packets? Mountain Dew. Mountain Orange Dew, yeah. Honey packets. Yeah. That you, that you get at like KFC and stuff. 
recognizing where you're at and what you can utilize around you is huge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, one of my mentors would say, I'm not going to tell him I'm a paramedic, but if there's a guy at the end of the bar who's having a diabetic emergency and he thinks his sugar's low and he's not unconscious, I tell the bartender to give him some Mountain Dew and help him drink it. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, he's just like trying to help there and he's just kind of laughing about it. I don't know if he was serious or not, but he's like, it'll work. It'll raise their sugar quickly. <laughs> mm-hmm. For sure. So. Is there any other, you know, kind of big ticket items you think the prepared or tactical civilian should kind of focus in on? Um, is money an option or are we talking like you are balling and you don't have to worry about money? Let's say you're not necessarily balling, but you have some funds and time to invest in, in advancing your own self. Yeah, um, I would. I wouldn't say it's out of the realm if you want to be a prepared civilian to even think about having a smaller um, AED. Right. I'm, I'm glad if you, you brought it up. Sitting, if you have little kids around the house. If you have little kids around the house, um, especially if you or your neighbors have a pool, mm-hmm. um, absolutely get an AED. Um, I mean, I, I haven't looked at their costs right now, but you're looking at why I don't know if the number's eight hundred dollars. I don't know. Can you find AEDs for eight hundred dollars? You can find very basic AEDs from about seven to nine hundred dollars right now. Um, and they range all the way to like fifteen hundred dollars, but yeah, yeah, I think about seven hundred dollars around that that ballpark right there is the baseline entrance into a quality AED. Yeah. So let's say you 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 have a thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drop names or anything, but you know, there's guys who are spending eight nine hundred dollars to go train for a weekend with high profile trainers, and it's like that's cool. Well, maybe you go to a training that costs a quarter or half of that, and then you spend the rest of the money on an AED or you save up for it. You know, mm-hmm. how much is your life worth? How much is your family's life worth? And that's when, when you look at somebody and, and you stare them dead in the eyes and you ask them that, like honestly, and they look back at you and go, oh, then that really gives them, it starts them to think about what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, an AED, I personally don't have one at my house, um, but should I have one? Yes, I probably should. But my area I live in and the training I have, right, I'm going to do CPR and then hopefully they get there quick. But if I had, if it were something in my budget, it's something I would add um, to it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an AED, uh, I'm glad you brought this up because I was talking about this with somebody the other day. The, the, an AED is on my next big medical ticket item because I got a fat amount of medical stuff now at this point that ranges a wide, a very wide span. An AED is next and kind of brings the whole uh, ensemble together. And, and yeah. your point about the classes and stuff, like, I mean, that goes back to like a lot of things that we think about in the tactical community. You know, somebody has, you know, three or four $3,000 plus AR builds, but they don't have night vision, you know. They've got a pair of $700 Comtax on their ballistic helmet, but they're listening to a $35 Balfang radio instead of something better. You know, 
really look at where your money is going into. And that's easy to say because we're all guilty of it from the beginning of with gear and, you know, tactical stuff and all that kind of stuff. We do kind of get out of hand and probably don't invest the way we should. Like if I could get all the money back that I started that when I started this journey and rebuild everything from scratch, I would have so much money left over because I would have never went through the crappy steps to begin with. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure probably everybody can say that. Oh, I, I spend so much money. It's I'm not the person to talk about financial advice, but you know, I asked that question, how much is it worth to you? How, how much is your life worth? How much is your family's life worth? And that puts a lot of things in perspective. I remember, it really does. I remember before, you know, I really came into a much more defined medical role and understanding of things. You know, I used to buy uh, the recon tourniquets instead of North American rescue tourniquets. I was like, oh, yeah, recon, reputable brand. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'll get the recon tourniquet because it was like $20 versus $35. Only to come out and realize that, you know, that's not the same as a cat tourniquet. But I, I bet you I bought a dozen or more recon tourniquets. Mm-hmm. Now they're all now, now they're just all in a box with training written on them. Mm-hmm. So you live and you learn, you know, mistakes and, and whatnot. You, you learn from them and you continue to progress. Yep. Uh, is there any other, you know, big ticket medical stuff you want to discuss, whether it be professional or the civilian side? Um. Off the top of my head, not at the moment. I'm sure if we ever think of something, we can have another podcast. We can talk about it. For sure. Um, But, you know, it's, I guess, just to reiterate home before we wrap up, right, is the basics. Um, Whether you're an EMT, whether you're a prepared civilian, whether you're a paramedic, you should become very good at the basics. Um, If you're going to seek training, seek training from people who are actively practicing um, I'm not saying you need to interrogate every instructor you have, but tend to go off of somebody who's always a student and practicing and they're in the, they're in the field currently. I think that's going to serve you better than somebody who's been out of the field for 10 years. Um, just a personal preference. Um, at the very end of the day, most fire departments have the ability to teach you basic CPR and stop the bleed two of the three that you recommended so go to your local career fire department and ask them go to the resources at your hands and ask them about that where they can get that training or if they can help provide that to you it, it might not be free i mean stop the bleed should be free but cpr might cost you a little bit but uh you know use those resources and just keep it simple man um as you stated you, if you're very good at the basics, you're going to do a lot more than the guy who is really high speed trying to bite off more heat than he can chew. For sure. Um, and, and, and like he said, you know, use your local resources, your fire department or a, a nonprofit charity organization that puts on classes or anything like that. You know, your school, if you're a younger person that's listening to this, even if you're a college kid, you know, some colleges do that. You know, these types of classes take advantage of the resources you have um 100 well justin thank you for coming on buddy um i really appreciate it thanks for having me on the ramble man that's uh i'm good at it i like to ramble i like to talk <laughs> <laughs> do you uh would you like to give any shout outs anybody i always let people do shout outs at the end of the episode if they want shout outs man um 
I don't have another half an hour to honestly thank um, <laughs> the people that I owe thanks to. Um, I really try and do that. Um, I guess off the top of my head, um, it's just some friends who have supported me from the beginning, honestly. Um, Viking Reconnaissance uh, is a mm -hmm. very good friend of mine, and we talk all the time. Uh, so giving him a shout-out. Follow him for your Recondo needs. Um, and then, yep, Recondo. That's for the guys who have followed him from the beginning. Uh, Josh, the nomadic clinician, again, very good friend of mine, very knowledgeable. Uh, follow him for more medical. Obviously, uh, Jeremy, um, your ECT, as I, uh, yes, ECT. I was thinking, I, was, I could see it, but for some reason I thought I was missing one. I'm not going to say the real name since it gets shadow banned by everyone. Um, that it does. That it does. <laughs> so um, you're putting out great stuff there. So keep it up, man. I'm thankful for our friendship that we have, um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be on here. And uh, just know, you know, if anyone who's listening, thanks for taking the time to hear me out here. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open. And uh, you know, also Chris, I'll give Chris a shout out because if not, he might be sensitive. The sad paramedic. Oh, so. sad paramedic. I'm going to have to ask yes. him about this here driveway story. Oh, yeah. You text him when you're done. When you get off the phone, when we get done, you just text him. So, but <laughs> um, if I didn't give you a shout out um, and we talk all the time or you're good friends with me, know that I think about you guys and thank you for all you guys have done for me. So, that's pretty much all I got there, buddy. Well, Justin, once again, thank you for coming on, buddy. I look forward to, you know, whatever events you have in store for the rest of the year absolutely dude thank you take care thank you that's all i got guys for episode 16 medical and civilian aid as always guys train hard train often tell me turn it down and i'm only turn up louder yeah. call me what you wanna but you can't call me no coward no. shrink the numbers we the people still the ones with power hey. fighting fire with fire time to take back what is ours